Thanks for joining us today on the LaunchPoint Church Podcast. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error and useful for every part of our daily lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. For more information about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, as well as visit our website at www.launchpoint.church. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the message. The last few weeks we've been talking uh, in regard to a series that we've titled Faithful. I think it's important, it's important all the time, but certainly important as we move from one year to the next year that we know who we are, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And especially for those that have over that particular time have come to join us anew, they need to know our heart. They need to know who we are. It's why we are pushing essentials so intentionally so that you know who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved in it. But anyway, one of the things that we need to know is that we've been called to be faithful. Amen? That means unwavering, unshakable, and absolutely loyal. Do you know why we've been called to be faithful? Because God is faithful. And because God is faithful, we should mirror everything that God is or strive towards it. So we should strive towards faithfulness too. Well, if we're responsible to strive towards faithfulness, the question must be asked, what is it we're called to be faithful in? And although I would tell you there's probably a thousand things the Scripture tell us that we should be faithful in, unwavering, unshakable, and loyal in, accomplishing, doing, and being, there are four things that specifically I've concentrated on. And I think they're probably the most important four. The first one is we must be faithful to the Word. That is the Word of God. We got to be faithful to hear it, to study it, to meditate on it, and ultimately to obey it. Amen? The second thing that we've been obligated to be faithful to according to the Word is the Gospel. Paul said he had one message, as do we. I can take and write a thousand sermons and preach them. But we have one obligation in that preaching. And that is to declare the gospel. Paul said, Christ and Him crucified. That was his message. If I don't start with Jesus, continue with Jesus, end in Jesus, either challenging you by coming to the altar to give your life to the Lord, or challenging you in your seat to become more Christ-like, then I haven't declared Christ to you, and we haven't been faithful in our proclamation of the gospel. But that's not something just I'm responsible to. That's something we are all responsible to. Amen? So the Word, God is faithful. And because God is faithful, we should be faithful to the Word. We should be faithful to the gospel. And as we talked about last week, we should be faithful to discipleship. I talked for a few minutes last week about the difference between vision and mission. Mission never changes. God gave us our mission in the great commission. Our vision 
is how we intend to accomplish the mission. And so if I tell you I'm going to Knoxville, Knoxville is my mission. If I get on the interstate and there's a wreck that I can't go to the interstate, then guess what? My mission has to change because it's something's in the way. And so sometimes our mission has to change because the demographic of our church may change or technology may change or our city itself may change. But the mission never changes. Amen? And what is our mission? Our mission is to make disciples because that's what Jesus told us to do. To make them, to mark them by water baptism, to mature them, and to multiply them for Christ Jesus. That's why we exist. That is the goal. How do we accomplish that? By being a place where people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. I need you to understand these two things. But there's a third thing I need you to understand. You can have a where you're going and how you're getting there. But you also, we also need a heart by which we are going there. And what I mean by that, it's our philosophy of ministry. How do we do what we do? And our philosophy of ministry is on the back of our outreach shirts. You've seen it, heard it, I'm sure, multiple times. It is to love them, serve them, speak kindly to them. How many of y'all are familiar with that verbiage? You, everybody needs to become familiar with that verbiage. Because let me tell you, we can get them in the door, but if we don't love them like the world is unwilling to love them, if we don't serve them like the world is unwilling to serve them, and we speak to them as the world speaks to them, they're never coming back here. Which means we have minimized our opportunity that God created sovereignly for us to minister to them because of our own personal proclivities. Amen. When I first started talking about planting the church with my pastor, he told me, he said that I needed these three things. He said, you need a, a vision, a mission, and a philosophy of ministry. And he says, you need to write them down so you know what they are. And so I did. And I've just explained the first two. Well, I've just explained all three of them to you. But he said, not only do you have to have them, they need to be biblically based. And so I started praying. God, give me a heart for what you want us to do. Show me what our heart should look like. And if you're not, if you didn't know this, our philosophy of ministry came from 1 Kings chapter 12. Let me get, we'll give you a short rundown of the story. King Rehoboam assumed the throne from Solomon. When he assumed the throne, the people came to him that is the people of Israel, and said this, Your father may our yoke hard. How therefore, now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his very heavy yoke which he has put on us, and we will serve you. What did he ask him to do? Or what did the people ask Rehoboam to do? He said, Our life is tough. Can you make it easy on us or easier on us? Here's the thing. Listen, this, this is very important. 
That's the reason people come to the church. Because they heard that there's a king. And in that king, there might be hope. And when they darken the door of our church, we better be prepared with a proper response for their call for hope. This is what Rehoboam did. Rehoboam told them, go away for three days. This is a big decision you ask of me, essentially. He said, I'm going to talk to the elders of Israel and I'm going to ask them what I should do. Which is a smart thing for a young man. And when they spoke to him, that is the elders of Israel, they said, if you will be a servant to this people today, and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, then they will be your servant forever. Listen, if you serve them, if you speak kindly to them, which is to love them, they will serve the king all the days of their life. Did you catch that? I don't want them to serve me all the days of their life. I want them to serve the king all the days of their life. And so, what did he do? He went and told them that, and everything was good, right? No, not if you read the story. He gets that advice and then goes to his friends and asks them what they think, and they get indignant, as youthful young men do, and they say, well, if they think it's hard now, make it harder on them. Tell them you're just going to make it harder on them. They don't know better than to complain. And that's the advice that he took. He went to the people he told them, you think it was hard before? I'm going to make it harder. And the people rebelled and the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms, north and south, from that time until 1967. Why do I tell you that piece of the story? Because that's exactly what happens when people don't find hope where they're hoping to find hope. They become fractured. Church splits happen and they walk away. Our job is to love them, serve them, speak kindly to them so that they recognize the hope. Don't walk away, but understand truly how much we love them, how much God loves them, and what God has done so that they will know He loves them. Amen? With that in mind, we should... Pay attention to John's instruction in 1 John 3.18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Stop talking about it. Start being about it. That's how John would have put it these days. Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to teach today out of 1 John. But I'm going to teach today out of 4, verse 7 through 12. If you want to read along with me. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God has manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, 
but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. He's saying, ain't nobody seen God. But when they see you love, they see God in you. But God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Amen. You know, there's a, I took a hermeneutics class, which is a kind of how to study the Bible class um, years ago. And it says, you want to know what the, the main theme or thesis of the author's writing is? Find any repetition of words. With that in mind, what do you think he's talking about here? He's talking about love. He says he uses the word love 13 times in six verses. He wants us to understand we have to be faithful to love. Now, I talk about love, as I just said out of verse chapter 3, but to be about love. We have to be faithful to love. Now, I'm going to make three points here, and they're going to be relatively short, I suppose. But here's the first one. We have been given a directive to love. God's told us to love. The problem is, we've forgotten our directive, and this may sting a little, Y'all get the salve out. We've forgotten our directive because we've forgotten the God we're supposed to serve. Y'all, man, you, I'm in the church on Sunday. It's raining outside. What you talking about crazy? I ain't forgotten the God. How consciously are you aware of God really? Or how consciously are you of God in your house? How conscious of God are you in your workplace? How conscious of God are you in your neighborhood? How conscious of God are you in your grocery store? How conscious of you of God are you when somebody tries your patience? I bet you become less conscious. Amen? But let me tell you, the Word of God says that God is omnipresent which means we have to maintain a God consciousness because no matter where we are, all of those places and every other place that can be named, God is standing right here. And if God is love, He's watching us do something other than love, we can do better. We've been given a directive to love. Matthew 24, 12 says, because of lawlessness... That is, the multiplication of wickedness is increased. Most people love will grow cold. And we see it every day in every area of life. When people are hurting or where there's tragedy, just a few generations ago, compassion would have reigned. But compassion doesn't reign anymore. My wife and I watched a movie the other day and when we saw it, we just... We just cringed because it's so true. It's called a, name, a Man Named Otto. If you haven't seen it, I, I don't think I remember any cuss words in it or anything. It's just a good, just a good solid movie. Um, but this guy, this old man on a train platform, 
is not paying attention. You can tell he's a little bit out of his head, and he walks off the train platform and falls about five feet down onto the tracks with the train coming. And this Otto is watching it happen like he saw him fall. And he starts to look around and he realizes out of the 50 or so people are standing around, none of them are putting their hands to compassionate work. All of them are recording for their TikTok video. Because that to us is what compassion looks like now. That's what love looks like to us now. We don't want to intervene in the problem. We just want to hashtag the problem, get our likes up, make it look like we care, when in fact we don't care at all. You have to put in the work, not just in words, but in deeds and actions. And so Otto jumps off of this platform. He picks the guy up and drags him off. Somebody else ends up ultimately helping him. But it's not just in TV. Every time something horrible in the world happens, somebody just like puts a picture of Texas. Hashtag praying for Texas. You ain't praying for Texas. You just want people to think you're praying for Texas. Right? I mean, some of y'all might be praying for Texas. I hate to say none of y'all are. But you scroll down some people's news feed and there's 10 F-bomb posts right behind that, you know they probably ain't praying for Texas. They're just trying to look good. We can do better. We've been given a directive to stop being, to stop watching and start doing. But here's the problem. We are the most socially conscious society that's ever existed, but also the most socially unprovoked society that's ever existed. We're okay to be okay. Child sex trafficking or human trafficking. Somehow you put a red X on your hand, put it on social media, and you're good. You have accomplished nothing. Anyway, I feel like I'm going to get off that for now. All of that to say we've been given a direct... We. Everybody say we. We. Been given a directive to love. You know how I know that? Not just you or you or you or you. You know how I know we all have? Because the first word in this text is beloved. You know what that means? It's used in the New Testament exclusively intended to speak of Christian love and affection birthed in the community of Christ. It is saying us. If you are a Christian, ever called yourself a Christian, then you are the beloved of God. And so for him to say beloved of God is, for the, is the same for me to write a letter to any of you that says, Dear Pastor Rick, or dear whoever, I'm talking to you. Let there be no mistake who I'm speaking to. You've been given a directive to love. All of us should love. Hmm. And because we love, because we know God, we can not only love, but we can give love. And we should give love. That's our directive. Is everybody okay? Amen. I'm not talking about flashing the pan, a 
emotional whatever. I'm talking about true sacrificial love because that's how God loved us. Number two, we have what we need to love. If we've been, if God's talking to us and He's directed us to love, the question is, how is that possible? Here's how that's possible. I'm going to go back and I'm going to reiterate these three. But we've been given what we need to, to love and that God is the source of love. Christ is the provision of love and the Holy Spirit is the empowerment of love. And we've been given all of them. Amen? I'm going to say it again for those in the back. God is the source. Jesus is the provision. The Holy Spirit is the empowerment. Now let's talk about each of these. God is the source. According to verse 7, for, God, for love is from God. Not just that He delivered it to us, but that He is love. Here's what kills me, man. People say, I'm just going to say ignorant stuff. They say, well, my God would never do that in regard to something they thought wasn't loving. Let me tell you, if God did it, whether you understand it is love, is irrelevant. What you need to do is change your definition of love to match the biblical definition of love or you don't know love. How could God do such and such? He did it to protect His people, to love you, to ensure that you were equipped, that you were provided for, that you had everything that you needed so that you could love properly. Amen? And so if we struggle with God's love, it's our struggle with God's love. God doesn't have a problem with His love. He is love. He is not just love. He is the provision for love. He is the one that gave us love. He is the one that continues to give us love. He sent His Son Jesus that we might have access to the provision that He offers. The love that we have started, found its genesis in God, the Father. Amen? Everybody all right? Jesus is our provision of love. Let me, let me read this to you. Verses 9 and 10. For this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has, seen, has sent His only begotten Son into the world. Does that sound familiar? You know why? Well, the same dude wrote it. Y'all thought I was going to say something theological. Same dude wrote it. He wrote, For God gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sometimes the Holy Spirit tells you to write something down twice, I guess. He says, By the look, but the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. I love this. In this is love. Not that we loved God. Did you know there's nothing in you to cause you to love God except for the provocation of God's love in you? 
I can prove this to you in Scripture. In Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our transgressions, while we didn't have any ability to acknowledge, recognize, or walk in love, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. What? It says he demonstrated. You know what that means? That means he put on public display. God put Jesus on public display while we were still sinners so that we could know that he loves us. Man, that's good. Before you accepted him in faith, before you even understood faith, before grace was poured out to you, before the Spirit knocked on your door the first time, God had already sent Christ Jesus. Knowing that you as a free will agent may never accept him at all, he sent his son Jesus to die for you because he loves you. I get two amens. I just said he sent Jesus to die for you because he loves you. Let me tell you, the church ought to stand on a roof and scream that out loud. But not just scream it, we should live it out loud. That he became our propitiation. But what is a propitiation? That's a big word. It just means appeasement. He sent Jesus to appease the judgment and the wrath of God on our behalf. We deserve judgment because death comes through sin. Amen? But we didn't get death. We got the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So Jesus was born, lived a perfect life, lived a, walked in a perfect ministry, was crucified, was mocked, was beaten, was blasphemed, was put in the ground, rose again, sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on our behalf, so that when we stand before God, Jesus, as our appeasement, taking away the wrath and the judgment that we deserve, can look at God the Father and says, No, sir, this one belongs to me. God is our source. Jesus is our provision. But you know what we got to do? We got to start acting like it. We give lip service to these things. These things should blow our whole world up. If you, this, I think I said this last week, if you believe what you say you believe is really real, then you got to get your head right. Now, I believe Jesus died for me, but I'm going to walk however I want to. Then you don't believe what you say you believe is really real because you were destined to hell hot forever separated eternally from the love of a God that died for you so that you didn't have to be there. You should walk excited. You should walk in love. You should walk in appreciation. All of us should do it. Amen? You know why? Because we have to get to a place to where we peripherally believe. I'm sorry, I just spit on somebody. Where we peripherally believe to where we really believe that what we say we believe is really real. 
It's not enough to hang a wooden placard in our living room that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because if you and your house aren't serving the Lord according to the Word of God, guess what? You're a liar. Ooh. All right. I didn't come that hard at the first service. Maybe somebody in here needed it. Maybe I needed it. So God is our source. Jesus is our provision. But the Spirit is our empowerment for love. It says God's love is manifested in us. How is God's love manifested in us? By giving us the Spirit. He has given us. Let this blow your mind. The omni, the omni God, omnipresent, omnipowerful, omniscient, transcendent God placed His Spirit inside of us to be a helper to us to convict us of sin, judgment, and righteousness, and so that love may be manifested in us. Y'all ever read your Old Testament? And as you're reading the, you're reading the Old Testament, you, you start looking at the Jews and you're all, man, y'all are stupid. God just showing out, showing out, showing out. He split the sea and Two days later, you fussing again because you ain't getting what you want to eat, and then he gets you what you want to eat, and then you mad that it ain't that it ain't a, it ain't something else, and then you mad because it ain't something else, and then you want some water, and then on and on and on, and every time Moses walks away for a couple of days, and you decide you need a new God, so you make yourself a new God. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Over and over and over, the Jewish people just rocking this circle of stupid. And God in His love keeps restoring them and they keep being stupid. I thought that. I was like, man, I'm so glad I'm not Jewish. And then I realized I'm as bad as the Jews, but worse. You know why? Because God placed His Spirit in me. They didn't have get their God's Spirit in them. The only thing they had was verbal tradition and the law. We've been empowered by God's Spirit, but we've gone so cold to hearing his voice in our life that we stopped paying attention to what he tells us to do and we might as well act as though he doesn't exist in us at all who we can do better <laughs> he is our internal motivator when he tells you when you're walking down the street and your nudge, don't pass that person that's hungry. Help them. Not in word, but in deed. Not in hashtag, but in food. Amen? Don't leave the brokenhearted alone. Sit with them. Can I let me give you a piece of advice? How many of you guys see stuff on Facebook and you people be like, hey, pray for me, such, 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 and then you're all. Praying for you. But then, but then you don't actually pray. And if you do pray, it's some nimbly bimbly prayer. That's just old people talk. Or you say some little prayer. Can 
Can I ask you to do me a favor? If your love is true, empowered by the Spirit of God, provided for by Jesus, sourced by God, sit with them before you pray with them. Go to where they are. Put your arm around them. And say, it's going to be all right. You may have to fight this fight. But you ain't going to fight this fight by yourself. Why do you think God gave us a fellowship? So that you're not fighting fights by yourself. Why do you think we push so hard? Man, if you guys have surgery, let us know. Not because we just was trying to fill up my calendar with stuff to do. Because I want to make sure somebody's there for you. If I can't be there for you, I want to make sure that someone's loving on you, that your family is being taken care of while you're at home. It's because our love has to be by action, not just by word. Amen? I've had people tell me, say, why do you call me so often? Well, I don't call you that often. But it's because I haven't seen you in a few weeks and I just want to make sure you're okay. Not for the sake of getting you back in church, but because I love you and want to make sure that something isn't wrong with you. And it wouldn't hurt you to be in church. Come on. <laughs> All right, number three. We grow in our love. God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Starting in the law, we've been commanded to love. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Expanded on this a little bit in Matthew 5, 43 through 44. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Lord. <laughs> First, he just said, love your neighbor. You know the good thing about your neighbor? You're in that neighborhood for a reason. Because you like it there. But now he's telling you to love the people who hate you. The people that you probably wouldn't consider your neighbor. And your neighbor is what? Guess what? Your neighbor is black. Your neighbor is white. Your neighbor is Hispanic. Your neighbor is Muslim. Your neighbor is homosexual. It doesn't matter. You're called to love them. Because when you love them, they see the love of God in you. And just perhaps they'll want the love that you have. Then you can fall back to where we've been before and be faithful to proclaim the gospel to them. So that you can be faithful to disciple them. So that you can ultimately see them in heaven. I'm not talking a homosexual. You don't understand who Jesus was. There was a reason they kept telling him, 
Well, he's a friend of sinners. Yeah. You know, God told us, God told us to be different in the world. Not to remove ourselves completely from it. Get out up amongst them. Get yourself dirty. Crawl in the ditch. Pull them out. Love them. There's a difference. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says, but also love those who hate you. He elevated it just a little bit. And then later on in his ministry, he really just punches us in the mouth with a little bit higher elevated command. John 13, 14. A new command I give you. Man, I ain't finished with the old one yet. That you love one another even as I have loved you. You know how the kids go to either, bruh. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. First he says, love your neighbor as yourself, but also love those who hate you and love all of them like I loved you. You know how Jesus loved us? Sacrificially. With everything. Guys, you, have, you understand that if we learned to be faithful to love, turning this city upside down would be easy. Because contrary to popular belief, the world is not loving them, serving them, or speaking kindly to them. So here's the challenge. If you'd like to ask God to grow your love, to make you more aware of the opportunities to love and empower you to step into those opportunities, I want you to come forward so we can pray with you. Pastor Daniel, Pastor Rick. Again, if you'd like God's empowerment, strength, and ability to step into loving those around you well, come forward. I'm going to ask Pastor Daniel, I'm going to pray over all of you, but I'm going to ask Pastor Daniel and Pastor Rick to start on their individual sides and pray over you individually as I'm praying. If you're staying back there, come on up here, Caleb. Do a little something. Do, do whatever it is you do. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, we know that according to your word, your love for us is beyond our own comprehension. Beyond anything we could grab a hold of. And God, walking in it is, God, it's tough. Because it expects stuff from us. It expects stuff from us that causes us to have to tear the things out of us that shouldn't be in us. So God, I pray for everybody standing or anybody who's not standing but just was nervous about coming forward. 
God, they've expressed a desire to grow in their love for people. Not for themselves, not to build their own platform, but so that you can be seen in them and as you're seen in them so that they can tell them who you are so that the kingdom of God grows. Embolden them, Lord, by the strength of your Holy Spirit. Fill their mouth with the gospel, unadulterated, uncompromising. God, I ask that you give them a ready recollection of the word and a desire to pursue you in it. God, I I just look at the people standing here in front and I know just this number can do and is capable of great things for you. Let it be so. Show yourself mighty as you are mighty through their lives. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that you placed your love in us. But not just for us, you placed your love in us that it may flow through us. We ask that it does in Jesus' name. Amen.